Uh, let's, let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful day. The beautiful weather outside. Lord, most of all, we thank you that you gather us together. We can come together as a church family. Whether we're present here, whether we're watching online, Lord, we thank you that your spirit brings us together in fellowship, in worship. And Lord, I pray you bring us together to to hear your word, Lord God. I pray that, Lord Jesus, your Holy Spirit would teach. May May you open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to your word, Lord God. We give you this time, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the title of today's message is Gone Viral. Now, when you hear the term gone viral, most of us know what it's referred to, right? We're not talking about sickness. We're not talking about COVID, right? If, if COVID was your first thing that came to mind when you heard the term gone viral, then you've been talking too much about COVID, right? You had COVID in the brain, right? Usually when we say go, it's gone viral, something's gone viral, what do we mean? It usually is like a picture or video has been shared and viewed by like millions of people, in a day, right? That's usually what, what we refer to as gone viral. And something has been viewed and shared and it's kind of spread throughout the world. And in a matter of a day, maybe sometimes in a matter of an hours, something is viewed a million times. Things go viral when someone uh, f- discovers something new, right? A new trend hits, something goes viral. Someone does something inadvisable, right? Something kind of not smart. It will go viral, right? Um, A cute kid, a cute dog can literally just look at you and that can go viral. Thousands and maybe millions of people can look at a video of a cute kid or a cute dog and it's going to go viral, you know? It's kind of a strange world we're living in a little bit, huh? Anyone know the first YouTube video that was ever posted? You guys know what it is, right? The co-founder of YouTube back in April 23rd, the 23rd of April in 2005, loaded an 18-second video. You want to know what that profound video was titled? Me at the Zoo. That was the first YouTube video. How many of us have had those videos of us at the zoo, right? This video, up to the time I looked at it, had 222,394,473 views. I was probably the 222,394,471st view, right? Crazy. So it was only, what, 17 years ago. The video on YouTube with the most views. Do you know what that one is? The most views on YouTube is the baby shark video. To tell you how insane our world is now. This video, years after it came out, went from 5 billion views to 10 billion views in two years. In two years, that video, years after it came out, still 2 billion views, more, right? That is now currently the most viewed video on YouTube. I am happy to report I am not included in one of those views. I refused to look at it. I know what the, I know what the song is. 
I've heard plenty of people say it, and I refuse to click it. I will not be counted as one. You may be, you may account for like 10 of those views, not once. And if those of you have no idea what I'm talking about, you're thinking, what's the big deal about a video about a baby shark? It is not, right? If you have not viewed it, let me spare you. You have not missed out. Don't worry about it. Let your curiosity be at ease. Trust me. You're better off. Most viral thing, things that go viral, you probably can go through life without watching it, and you're going to be okay, right? Another viral sensation helped put K-pop on the global map. You guys know what I'm referring to there? Size Gangnam Style. <laughs> now, as a Korean-American, when it came out, I just didn't get it. Obviously, I was nearly alone in that because by today's count, the video has over 4 billion views. You know, something went viral when your grandparents are doing the dance, right? When they're doing the dance, you know something went viral. And parents, if you want a tip, if you want to stop your kids from doing what they're doing, do it yourself, There's nothing that will turn a child off more than seeing their parents do something that they're interested in, right? All right, now, you know, take that disclaimer with a word of caution, obviously, right? You know what I'm getting at. My last sermon only needs 4,349,218,113 more views to catch Sai. I think we could do it. Just kidding. In July 2006, 63 million people worldwide visited YouTube. A year after, roughly a year after it came out. To uh, the time of the article, over 2 billion logged in users visit YouTube each month. So we can see how things go viral. And of course, many people use many different social media platforms to share and watch pictures, videos, and so forth. Some may think this is a new phenomenon, right? The sense of going viral. But this is nothing new. The only thing new about this viral trend is that technology advances it so quickly, right? We can have the latest trend, whatever people are watching and sharing at the palm of our hands in a matter of split seconds, right? (coughs) I bring this all in mind because as we continue in Mark, we're seeing the beginnings of Jesus going viral across the surrounding area, across the surrounding regions. Word of Jesus is spreading And it hasn't stopped globally since. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? We're studying at the time when Jesus' ministry is just starting and word is spreading and it hasn't stopped since. Can you imagine the number of views the gospel has right now? Isn't that kind of weird to think about? I I was thinking about that. How many views do you think the gospel has had since? We can't, we can't fathom that number, but I bet God knows, right? That'd be kind of cool, you know, in, in, in heaven, there's like a, a little meter, a view meter, it's going like this, you know, that'd be kind of cool, right? So we're seeing the beginning of Jesus' ministry going viral. It's been a couple weeks, so let's re- re- review from where we are. Uh, we, st- we saw that John the Baptist was taken into custody by Herod, and now we see the transition from John's ministry to Jesus' ministry. 
And we see that Jesus is starting his journey. He's starting his mission, his ministry, his, his path to the cross. And he's been preaching the kingdom of God. And he's been healing the sick. And we saw a couple of weeks ago at the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, Jesus called, he starts to call his disciples, his followers. And we saw that he called a pair of fishermen brothers, Andrew and Simon, James and John. And he simply said, simply said this to them that we see in Mark, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now we didn't know much about the pair of brothers other than they were fishermen. But what we do know from the story is that when Jesus said those simple words, they left what they knew, they left what they were comfortable with, and they said, we got to follow him. That's an amazing thing to think about, right? At the time, they probably could not imagine what their life was going to be like, how changed and transformed their life was going to be like. I bet they couldn't imagine that they would be part of a global transformation. They would be a part of changing history beyond they could ever conceive. And they did so, they experienced that by responding, being ready to say, I will follow you. Imagine that for yourself. Right? Imagine that, that you can't imagine how transformed, how amazing your life can be by simply responding to that call that Jesus has, come, follow me. Watch me transform your life. Watch me do something amazing in your life. So it's crazy sometimes how reluctant we can be even though God is much more reliable than us, able than us, and knowledgeable than us, yet sometimes we're so reluctant to give to God, right? Sometimes we're so reluctant to trust Him and to follow Him because we're like, "Mm, God, I don't know. If I do, is that going to be good for me? Am I going to like it? Is it worth my time? But yet God just says, can you just come and follow me? Place your trust in me. See what I can do in your life. So we get to verse 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 1. We're at 20, verse 21. And here it goes like this. So, and they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now here we see Jesus is at the synagogue in Capernaum. Now I have a map up there. I know it's really small, but if you can see at the very about in the middle of the screen there, right dead center, there's two cities, Capernaum and Bethsaida, right? So right above the Sea of Galilee over there. That's where Jesus is. And we see from Mark, there was an urgency. We see that Jesus immediately enters the synagogue on the Sabbath to teach. We're going to see that teaching the people was a priority for Jesus. So Jesus went to the place, the synagogue, where the people go to be taught. Synagogues were a local place of worship, where the people in the area can go and worship there, and they can learn, they can hear teachings about the law, they can hear teachings about the scriptures from these scribes. Right? So if you can kind of conceive, think of it as what we think of church today, a local church today, right? If you go down Broadway here, right, we have actually three churches who, 
who worship here, right? You go down Broadway, you have a few more churches here, right? There's all these places of worship. You can kind of think of synagogues as these local places where these local communities come to worship. Now, who were the scribes? Their role, the, the roles and position of the scribes in the Jewish community had a lot of different positions and roles dating back to the time of exile. They, they were scholars. They were interpreters and teachers of the Mosaic law. They were recorders of scripture. They helped record the law or scripture. They were theologians, right? They thought about God and, and the teachings of, of, of scripture. They were lawyers. Some of them were members of the Sanhedrin. Some of them, they were custodians of Jewish tradition, especially during the time of exile. They're in a foreign land. So they're trying to preserve their tradition, their heritage, even their language. Right? You can imagine. Some of you, how many of you came here, America, when you were young? How many of you um, lost your native language? When I say that, meaning like you don't speak it as fluently as you used to. Right? Some of us may have experienced that as well, right? So they were helpful in that they, were, they, they helped preserve the customs, right? their traditions, but also the traditions of the teachings at the time. They established schools where youths can learn and study the law. So they were professional students of the law. These were the scribes here, right? So Jesus came to the synagogue, to the place where people went to go to be taught. He went there to teach. Verse 22, And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was something noticeably different about Jesus' teaching. Something different. Mark has a clear indictment on the teaching of the day. Look what he says. He says he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Ouch. Right? That's a big indictment. There was something about what Jesus was teaching, but it wasn't like anything they heard from the scribes. See, the scribes, they taught protected tradition, but their teaching was really based on a tradition of teaching. Men teaching on upon teaching upon teaching of the law, right? There was the tradition. So you had one scribe who had a student, and that student became a scribe. And so there's a lineage of these traditional, this tradition of teaching. But Jesus taught with a different authority to the ears of the people. He didn't just teach what someone else taught about the scriptures, right? He was different. He had a direct source of authority, right? He didn't just teach about what was traditionally believed for generations. I imagine Jesus taught in such a way that it didn't sound or didn't come across as just opinion or a regurgitation of what someone has heard over the course of time. There was just something different. I think we've all been in classes like this or we heard from somebody teach. There's just something different about their teaching. It's as if they were there, as if they had some insight, some source, that it wasn't just what they heard from somebody else, but they're like, you know what, I can listen to this person. This person has something that we haven't heard before. I imagine the people of the day wondered, who is this teacher? Who taught him? Who gave him this insight, right? How can he teach in this manner? 
John the Apostle, he gives us his answer. He starts off his letter. How does John start off? In the beginning was what? The Word. The Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What does John say? Jesus is the very Word of God. All of Scripture points to Jesus. It speaks of Jesus. So when Jesus teaches, yeah, he has a different kind of authority. He has a divine authority, right? So the people were compelled by his teaching and gravitated towards him. Now things are going to start to get a little bit more interesting. Verse 23. And just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? That is about as close as my throat can, can uh, do a demon voice. I don't want to do a demon voice, right? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, we don't know if this man was brought because Jesus was there or just happened to be there when Jesus arrives, but we see in the synagogue there was a man with an unclean spirit, a synonymous term for a demon. And the unclean spirit says, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Now, it's interesting to note that the demon says we. We don't know of multiple demons in this person. All we know is that he had an unclean spirit. And he says, what do we have to do with you? I think he's speaking for its kind, the rest of the unclean spirits, the demons. What do we have to do? What are you doing here? Why are you bothering us, right? What are you going to do with us? Did you come to destroy us, right? Do the demons already know what will happen to them, right? Do the demons say, oh, you can come here to destroy us? I believe Satan and and the demons, they know their time is up. Their time is limited. But, They're going to out to destroy. They're going to go out to destroy as many people along the way. Now you may ask, why does the unclean spirit identify Jesus? Right? Why say, we know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. You're the Holy One of God. Why does the demon, this evil unclean spirit, identify Jesus? Now it's hard enough to assume and guess someone's intentions and motives, right? Have you ever received a text or an email and you wondered, what did this person mean by that? Right? It's hard enough when you're talking, having a conversation with somebody and they're right in front of your face and they say something, you're like, what did that person mean by that? Right? It's hard enough for us to interpret sometimes what people mean and why they say something. So I would imagine it's a little bit tricky to guess or assume what the intentions of this demon is. I have, I'll be honest, I don't know for sure why this demon identified Jesus, right? Was the demon trying to expose Jesus before its time? Perhaps. Did the demon intend to give Jesus a bad name by identifying him to the crowd, right? Sometimes you're, you're guilty by association. I don't know. Was the demon compelled to identify Jesus out of fear? That's, that's a guess too. We're kind of left guessing as to what the intentions of this demon is. We'll get to a little bit more of that in a second. 
But it's interesting that the demons are first mentioned by Mark in his account to recognize and identify Jesus with certainty. Right? Mark doesn't record John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? But for some reason, we see here in Mark, this first instance, this demon identifies Jesus. I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. We know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. James says in chapter 2, verse 19, it says, You believe God is one? You do well. Even the demons, demons also believe and they shudder. Right? It's not a big deal. You say you believe in God? That's great. The demons know. The demons know who Jesus is. You know, I kind of imagine when I'm thinking about the scenario, I imagine if there's demons kind of having a conversation with themselves. And they go to they look at this person and look at this chump. This chump has no idea who Jesus is. <clears throat> Can you believe that? Can you believe that? He did, they don't even know who Jesus is. They won't believe. Let's do everything we can to keep it that way. I can't imagine a conversation like that. The demons, they know who Jesus is. Verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Here was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, a demon, and a demon speaks through the person. And Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit, says, quiet, enough of you, get out of him. And before the demon leaves, the demon throws a man into convulsions. He cries out with a loud voice and comes out of the man. Now, you may be wondering, you may be thinking, what's going on here? Is this real? Did this really happen? Or is this just stuff that we see in movies? Is demon possession real today? And I would say, yes, it is real. It does happen today. I'll say that I have seen it happen. I've been present in a room when someone has been demon-possessed. Can I explain it? Well, let me just say this. What I do know, we know that we're not merely flesh, skin, and bones, right? It appears that our physical bodies are like a house, so to speak, for the spiritual, right? Right? It was created to be, a, for at a time, a dwelling place of the spiritual. When we say the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do? What? Dwells in us. The Bible talks about that we are the temple of God. But possession seems to occur when people allow evil spirits, demons, access, an invitation to take over their minds and their bodies. How does that happen fully? I've never been. Sorry. <laughs> I never went through those stages, but I've seen people who have been. I know there are things that take place that people allow that influence, allow that presence into their mind and inside here. When we look at life around us, we mainly think about what we can see with our own, our own eyes, right? We only kind of think of the physical. When I look out here, I see your faces, I see your bodies, I see the building. We look outside the trees and so forth, right? 
We see the physical world, and, but we, our senses normally can't observe the spiritual. We don't see typically, typically the spiritual. But we know that life is more than just physical, more than what we could observe. Most of the time we don't see beyond the physical, the spiritual realm, but we know that it exists. This is why science can't explain everything, right? Because science, they measure what is observable. But there's just some things in our reality that's not always observable. But we know from Scripture that the spiritual realm interacts and can manipulate the physical. You don't need to believe in Scripture to understand that, right? We know that there are things that is unexplainable that happens around the world all the time. That's unexplainable. The physical realm is manipulated, is affected some way by unobservable interactions, forces, whatever you want to call it. Unexplainable phenomena happens all the time. But somehow these activities, there's things that people engage in that are spiritual in nature and demonic in nature. People engage in it. They want to delve into the spiritual realm, and they don't realize behind it is a demonic influence. And they're opening their front door to whatever come into their life, into their minds. So somehow these activities that people engage in open a person to be influenced, manipulated, and possessed by demons. So I say this as a caution, as a warning. Be careful what you entertain yourself with. Be careful with what you do because there could be a, very well be a demonic influence behind it. Be careful what you engage with because there certainly can be evil behind it and in it. So we see it in here in such a way that the demon speaks out of this person. And I have seen that happen. I have heard that happen. And it throws the person in convulsions. And it screams out before Jesus casts, out, casts it out of the person. Verse 27. And they were all amazed. So that they debated among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. So again, we see word is spreading throughout the surrounding districts. Jesus is going viral. Word is spreading quickly. Verse 29. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. I love that the Gospels and the book of Acts, they provide a context, right? When we look at Scripture, it's not just about do's and don'ts, but especially the Gospels and Acts, they present a context, a narrative, for us to understand that Jesus actually engaged in people's lives. He was real, and he interacted with real people. And here we see that Jesus goes with Andrew and Simon to their home, and there they see Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and she's sick. Verse 31, so they immediately told her about, or told Jesus about the mother-in-law being sick with a fever. Verse 31, and he came to her, raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. Jesus takes her by the hand, raises her up, and immediately she is healed. What great timing. 
right? If all people you want to come into the house, Jesus comes in after a long day, he, you know, he's dealing with demons and he's teaching people, and here's Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Jesus, Jesus, hey, hey, you know what? Great timing. My mother-in-law is sick. Can you do something? He takes her by the hand. And she's immediately healed. Verse 32. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. So the rest of the day, going into the evening, people throughout the city heard about Jesus and they were coming to the door, gathering at the door. They brought all the sick, those who were demon-possessed. Now, I don't know if Jesus had like a numbering system, you know? Serving... Number 65? I don't know. People were like, got a number, and they're waiting. Like, oh, finally. You know, we all know the feeling of that, right? When we're in the waiting room, getting our medicine or waiting, and we're just waiting for our number. And what an exhilarating moment when your number is approaching. I don't know if Jesus had a system or not. I don't know. Maybe there was just a long line that wrapped around the city. Who knows? But all into the night... People brought those who were sick and the demon-possessed. Now, what started Jesus as a viral sensation that continues to be today? Why did Jesus go viral so much? We see three repeated themes here in this passage and that we'll see throughout Mark. Three themes. One, Jesus' authority in his teaching and preaching. Two, Jesus' authority over the spiritual. And the third, Jesus' authority over the physical. This was on full display, and Mark makes it known. This is important. Jesus had authority in his teaching. He had authority over the spiritual, and he had authority over the physical. We look in his teaching. Even more than the miracles, Jesus' priority was to proclaim God's word to the people. We're going to see it next week, and we're going to continue to see it throughout Mark. That was his priority. I need to get the word out about his kingdom, the Father's kingdom. I need to get the word out. These people need to know. They've been under a certain teaching all these years on going to those places and really teach them. I think I've said this before in the past. The most to me, the most important responsibility of a, of a pastor is to teach and declare God's word. That's the most important thing. It's not the only role. It's not the only important thing. But to me, that is the most important thing. And it's done in different ways. It's done in word. It's done in a sermon, in a Bible study. It's also done in action. But that's the most important thing is to teach and declare God's word. And I want to clarify. I felt like I needed to clarify this for a while now. I know... I am not the funniest or entertaining speaker. Thank you for holding your laughter. I didn't hear any amens, so that's good. I understand that. And I understand there's a time and a place for to be entertaining, for laughs and appeal. However, I intentionally do that. I'm not saying I'm more funnier than, I, than it seems. I'm not saying that either. 
But I am intentional with that because I don't want to present the giving of God's, of the giving of God's word as another means of entertainment. I'll say that again. I don't perceive the giving of God's words as another means of entertainment or a means to tell people what they want to hear and how they want to hear it. Because we will train our minds and we'll train ourselves to be conditioned to hear God's word in an entertaining way. I need God to entertain me to be taught, to be heard, or to hear God's word. And I think there's, a, there's a, a line where you can communicate in a relatable way, in a way that's not causing you to, to sleep too much, but there's a line between that and taking as, you know what, if it doesn't entertain me, I don't want to hear it. And that shouldn't be the hearing of God's word. You understand what I'm saying? I hope that when we come here to hear God's word, we're hearing to hear God's word. It's not about me. It's not about the presentation or any of those things. Most of all, we want to hear God's word. We want to be taught God's word. You see, the portrayal of the scribes here is very, it's it's quite an indictment. It should be a warning to us to be careful not to follow the teacher who followed another teacher who followed another teacher. We want to make sure we're following the one who calls us to follow. Right? You're not here just to hear me teach, my advice, my take on things. Right? I want you to thirst and hunger for God's word, to be taught God's word. Don't follow the teacher. Follow who the teacher is following, which is Christ, right? But the people, they were amazed at Jesus' teaching because as unlike what the people were used to hearing. And we need to remember that about Jesus. His word about life has an authority that no other religion, no other faith, no other ideology or philosophy has. You have to understand that. There's an authority in the gospel that we can hold on to. The second theme that we'll see throughout Mark, we saw today, Jesus' authority over the spiritual. Jesus had authority over the demons and unclean spirits. Even though they wanted to proclaim who Jesus was, throw the cover off, Jesus did not allow it. He had complete control over that situation. He quiets them down, doesn't let them speak. He mutes them, the demons, or he mutes the demons from revealing his identity and delivers these people from spiritual bondage. His power over the demonic was one sign of evidence of who he was. He did so so that people would understand and see Jesus had authority even over the demonic even over the evil, for us to know, yeah, there may be evil all around us. There may be spiritual, unclean spirits all around. We, we don't really know. We can't see, praise God, we can't see everything. But we can see the effects of it. You drive down the street, we see all this evil all around. Do you remember a time when movies were not allowed to show horror, advertiser horror flicks on billboards? I remember a time. They were not allowed to do it. In a few months or towards October, that's all you're going to see, right? There's demonic influences around us, but we need to understand Jesus has authority and power. We're not talking about an evil or an equal playing field. There's no equality with good and evil. The demonic does not have equal power with God. And the third thing, Jesus' authority over the physical. Jesus showed he has authority over the physical by miraculously healing the sick 
But I want to note that there's a distinction. Jesus makes a distinction between delivering the unclean spirits and healing the sick. I say that because there are many people who think that sickness is always a spiritual matter. What you're going through is always a spiritual matter. There must be a spirit of this. There must be a spirit of that. And it gets people thinking, I'm sick because I have a lack of faith. I want to make it a point and distinction that Jesus healed, delivered both the unclean spirit, or delivered people from unclean spirits, and he healed the sick as well. People were sick, and it wasn't an issue of an unclean spirit. I want to make that distinction clear, because there's a lot of people who have health problems. They think, what's going on with me? Must be some kind of evil spirit around me or something. I don't know. But there's a distinction with that. But he did not heal the sick just to show that he will heal everyone who is sick. I believe he performed miracles, and he performs miracles today. I believe he healed people to lay down the proof of who he was. I'm not just who I say I was. Let me give you proof. Let me show you who I am. And I want to say that as well in closing because I know there are many of us who at times have prayed either for ourselves or for other people to get healed, right? We pray for healing and it hasn't come. Or maybe our loved one passed. And we wonder, God, why didn't you answer our prayers? Why aren't you healing me? You healed this person in Scripture. You healed this person. I believe in you now. And why aren't you healing me? I think we need to make sure we understand the point of Jesus healing all these people wasn't simply that because he's going to heal everybody. But he was laying the groundwork of faith to say, listen, I am who I say I am, and let me show you proof and evidence so that you don't have to rely on all these miracles. I don't discourage you for praying for a miracle. I don't discourage you for praying for healing. But if for some reason that doesn't happen, that should not deter your faith one bit. Because ultimately we know someday we will all be healed. Right? At one point in time, you have faith in Christ. He will fully heal you physically. But I would encourage you to pray that, Lord, in your glory, may, you, may your will be done. We pray for your healing. We believe you can do it. May you do it, Lord God. But if you do, may it glorify your name. May you be glorified. May through this that you will be glorified and be a testimony of who you are. But if it does not, may your name be glorified. May it testify of your goodness. May you be praised. Amen? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord God, that you have authority, authority over the sick, authority over the spiritual. Your word is authority in our lives. And Lord, I do pray that we be a part of your name and your gospel going viral around the world, around our neighborhoods, around our families, around our friends, around our communities. May we be a part of that response to follow you and be a part of sharing your gospel to those who need to hear it. We lift this to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.